Yo, what's good, ladies and gentlemen? It is your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y, you dig live action from the Collar Stutzer Show, a.k.a. the Culture Talk Show, a.k.a. the show. You dig what I'm saying? Look, we back at it again with another episode, and I am excited because like I tell you guys every Friday, next week we're going to come back with a fire guest. Next week we're going to come back with a fire guest, and I've yet to fail, y'all. I mean, in my humble opinion, in my humble opinion. So what can I say? If you're watching this on YouTube right now or you're watching this on Facebook or any video platform, you already know who we got here today. And if you're not watching and listening on audio, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people, my brother. Yeah, what's good, peeps? My name is TJ Roberts. I'm the owner here of Kingship Cafe, um, just down here in downtown KCK. Um, we just opened October 10th, if I'm being actually right. Um, we had our first, like, our kind of our soft opening um, and have slowly, like, evolved finally into our brick and mortar um, from that timeline. So when we first opened, we were serving coffee, just kind of pick up and delivery only. And then now we're, we have, you know, we have a place for people to sit down and enjoy the meal and different things like that. But Happy to be here, bro. Seriously, thank you for having me on. Hell yeah. And like we were talking about before the show started, man, like I tell anybody who who gets, you know, suggested to me, like it's a testament to your hard work and to the work that you're doing in the community for, you know, other people, like you said, that you respect, of course, and that I respect to suggest, you know, oh, you should have this person on like that. That's not just somebody being nice. That means you're doing something in the community that that's valuable. That means you're creating relationships that are valuable, that you're putting some some good energy out there in the world. So shout out to you and what you've built. And we'll get into that, of course. But let's start with, you know, the very beginning, you know, newborn TJ. Like, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? And talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah, so I was born here in Kansas City, Missouri. Actually, I was born in uh, at Truman Medical and then uh, was put into adoption basically from the first day I was born. Um and was through the adoption cycle and went through foster homes and different things like that. Um, wasn't until I was almost two where I was adopted by my parents now. Um, and I was, uh, when I was adopted, I, I ended up having to move in with them, obviously. So uh, they resided in little Wamego, Kansas. Um, it's a population of like at that time, probably five to 800 people. And now, today, maybe 1,800. That's crazy. So much, much smaller place, obviously, of, of people. And, um, and obviously, you know, I was, I was the, the only Black person that was there. So there was lots of, you know, some, some strain um, trying to assimilate and you know, get accustomed to the, the environment that I was in. Um, so for me, I had, I had to navigate through a lot. Um, if I'm being real, people talk about like, you know, pioneering something or being the first of there. And you talk about how cool that sounds and how great it sounds. Well, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't all that cool to be the first African-American to graduate from my high school. You know, there was a lot of things that I, because I was the first of, I had to experience, for lack of better words, things I wouldn't want anyone else to experience. So you grow a thick skin, 
Um, you learn ultimately how to navigate through a lot of those situations and how to um, still carry your dignity with you as you're going through them because you are you are having to duke and dive through different things to to get the result that you want to see or the result you want to get. And so for me, um, I just spent a lot of time just reflecting, seeing and diving into my own culture. I had to learn a lot of things um, from myself personally that I needed to, to be able to do. And so like code switching and, um, you know, knowing how to know when something's appropriate and right to do this or that or the other. And then also just because I was from and raised by a lot of white environment um, uh, and influence, like I had to dive head first and, and honestly myself I had to dive into my culture and so I, I I didn't get the people teaching me my parents my parents didn't teach me what black people did or you know the cultural um, milestones that we had hit and who did those like we didn't I didn't understand or have any knowledge of that at all so for me I had to I had to actively make a decision to, to self-improve and to self-learn and to dive deep into that stuff and as I as a kid you know I was I was you know not only was I the only black kid in the area but I was like I was born different too you know I have seven fingers so that already um in a small small area where there's lack of resources and knowledge and education and services for people disabled like that was there too. So you, you didn't have, I didn't have like a para teaching me how to hold a cup or how to drink something or how to make something or do something. It was just, I figured it out. And so a lot of that was seeing how other people did stuff and being like, I could do that, you know? And so understanding, understanding that that was never going to let me, let me, let me, let me, uh, that was never going to hold me back. Um, you know, but at an early age, seeing some of those things and having to go through a lot of those things as the first of um, just naturally made me uh, have a thicker skin than, than a lot. of. So that was a lot of my upbringing. I mean, mixed mixed with a lot of racial tension. I, I was gifted at sports. That was my outlet, um, that and music. So I, I do music as well. Um, and so that was just like those those things that I enjoyed became therapeutic for me to get away from where I was, like where I was living, you know what I'm saying? And and live in another, like another world, another, like when I'm playing drums, I'm doing this, when I'm playing sports, I'm, I'm out, out, outletting something else, you know? And so there was a lot of that. And I, I ended up having to become a student early to life uh, just because of what wasn't, what I wasn't getting taught and what I wasn't um, used to seeing, you know, I didn't, I, you know, need and it's funny, like today, like some of that, and we'll go into it, like where there's not representation in places. Um, I didn't have a black dad to go home and talk about these racial issues with anybody. I didn't have um, another black friend at my school that was experiencing these yeah, things too. Yeah, those discussions with exactly, yeah. And and I wanted to, I wanted to ask you because, like, you know, how what's like the earliest age you remember, like actively making the decision to really you know there was a lot that you shared right there so I'm, I'm trying to decide where I want to choose to go first but um like what at what point do you remember taking the initiative I guess you could say to go and learn more about 
you know, the culture that you're from or the culture that, you know, at least society places you in, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. and, and, and like, what was that process like? Was that like, cause you know, for some people they might be like, oh, so did he get on Google and be like, what does black people do? Like, you know what I'm saying? So like kind of explain what that looked like for you and how you kind of engulfed yourself in the culture to be able to learn and understand, you know, a little bit about the history and, and, and roots, because you know, I come from a similar situation in terms of parents, you know, my mom's from Africa, from Tanzania, but I grew up in black America and Africans and black Americans are different culturally. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so like my mom doesn't know about black culture in America. I mean, now she does, because it's been, you know, years being here, but she doesn't know about that. And my dad's white and he didn't educate me about none of that growing up either. So it's like, I, I know what I had to do. I mean, but I had the benefit of being in a relatively diverse area. So I have, you know, black friends around me that could, you know, show, show me the ways, I guess you could say. So talk about <laughs> your experience and kind of how you engulfed yourself and learned about everything. Yeah, I mean, I would say like my earliest age was probably like when I realized and it was just like through reflecting, okay, I, I am different. You know, I'm different than everybody else around me. And that was through, like, honestly, not not the way you want to know, but, I mean, that was through just dealing with, like, name-calling and people doing this and that. And so my first age, when I realized wholeheartedly, man, this is going to be different, was third grade. And I was probably, you know, 10, 11, 13 years old. And I had a kid call me Oreo. And real talk, you know, I had no idea what an Oreo was. I didn't even know if it was bad. I mean, it didn't sound, I mean, don't sound that bad, you know. Um, when you have no cultural you background. Sound tasty to me, brother. Shit. <laughs> hey, yeah, sure. I mean, sounds good to me. Like, that's a, I'm a sweet treat, you know, whatever. But it's, you know, it, it ended up gratifying, you know, a teacher called this person out, pulled me aside, pulled this person aside, and educated us a little bit about why he shouldn't be saying that and why I shouldn't be putting up with that. And, that was my first experience when I was like upset and angry, but I was, it was a different, like I tell people this, it was a different kind of a, a upset and angry. It wasn't because I didn't know it was embarrassing. Real talk. And it took me, uh, it took me maybe 10 years to figure that out. I'm not lying. Like it took me maybe till I was in my twenties to realize there, there was a piece of that that little moment in my life that I I overlooked or I didn't I didn't fully dive into to reveal what was really happening, and so that had happened. Now was the spark to everything that had occurred more and more in my life with racial tension, and my response was always anger. So if if I'm being honest, it, it came out of anger. The, the the inspiration to learn more came from being angry, but it wasn't an anger. It was an anger that I didn't understand. And so finally, like, um, a freshman in high school, and I get on the forensics and debate team. And if people don't know what that is, I'll briefly give you, you know, debate is what it sounds like. You debate with people, with factual evidence people, not with opinions. Um, and you, you do your best to prove to the audience that you're right. Basically like a judge in court, you know, type situation. Forensics is the opposite of that. It is competitively spirited, but it is based upon how well you speak, how well you articulate your words, and honestly, um, performance. So like acting. And so I really started getting into the forensic side of that. And I started 
doing more poetry and more prose where you're, where you're telling a story. Um, and so, you know, when I started, when I read Emmett Till, my freshman year, that woke me up, you know, that, that upset me in, incredibly to, to read this story and to hear, hear like the story from his mother's perspective. But I think for me, it was like, I got it. Like, I understand now why order was such a bad thing to say. I understand why Jigaboo was such a bad thing to say. I understand why all these things are bad things for people to do to Black people. Like, I get it now. You know, and there, was, there was that connecting dot. And so, honestly, bro, I started just reading. I started reading. My freshman year in high school, I read every book I could get my hands on that had anything from the Black writer. Maya Angelou, W.E.B. Du Bois. I mean, we could go on and on and on on. Uh, people that I enjoy reading and still do to this day. Um, so for me, it was honestly this weird thing where poetry was my, my way into our culture. And that is a big part of our culture, is the words that we say. Whether it's in rhythm or it's not, like we have a powerful voice. It's always been something that has been a part of our culture. So for me to finally listen and find that voice it was in, in it was in the way of words, and so I started reading and I started getting to know more and more about my history. So, like my freshman year and sophomore year, you know, a little rough because it's a, you know you're new in high school, you know, you're the new black kid that everybody knows to pick on, right? But not only that, to add complexity to it, I have a disability, okay, and then I'm beating all these white people and their kids in sports, so now it's different. Now we got a freshman that's new to the school that has three less fingers than everybody else. And he's outrunning everybody and scoring touchdowns, making points, doing these things. And they're playing over my white kid. I got a problem with that. And so my freshman year and sophomore year, I experienced probably the, the that was probably the, 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 the height of the racial tension that I had experienced. And it was because of those factors, for right. sure. But then on top of that, the nuance and the understanding that I had is that I was good at forensics, you know? I was really good at forensics. I was really good at debate. I was really good at sports. I was really good at acting. I could sing. I could play music. I could play drums. I could do all these things. I was good. But I really, like, didn't have a lot of friends. I, I was talking to my girlfriend the other day. I was like, I really don't. My best friend was the Hispanic, the other Hispanic in the, in the school. Like, we, that's... That was what it was. But at the same time, you know, I was, um, I was, I was, you know, every year, my freshman year, I was the class president. How? I do not know. Um, number two, like I, I was homecoming candidate my senior year. How? I don't know. I, I did not go to any high school parties. People, people I did, my first drink was 21 years old. Real talk. I did not go and do those things. I, all the jocks, people that were, you know, my quarterback, my receiver, my, all those guys that started, we played football together. That was it. Like, I really had no relationship with a lot of people outside of, outside of my teammates in the game of, of that sport. Was I really involved with anything? And a large part of that was because I was angry. And that anger was festered from just me not knowing my own culture and that anger that came from just being embarrassed of not knowing my culture. So now here we are on my junior year, the racial tension has subsided a little bit because people are just accepting he's better than all of our kids, he's better than me or whatever. 
And now I have all this knowledge of, of, of this African-American literature that I've been reading. So now when kids call me nigger on a football field in the middle of the game, I'm not one to bust his chops. Right. Or when a kid or even one of my teammates starts saying something about black people that I'm not down with. Like there wasn't, I didn't pull to anger. I pulled to like, man, you know what's funny? Y'all don't know nothing. You know what I mean? That's where it came from. It was, wow, actually, you don't know what that word really means. Mm. So you're not even, you're not, what's funny is you're not even using it the right way. You know what I mean? Like all those things. And so as I started to get to know more about our culture, my anger subsided. Right. And it wasn't until like after high school when I realized that as I knew more about who I was, less bothered me. And the, the opinions and the words that other people said and things like that didn't bother me because I again I know who I am now. So what is it, what what do you know more about me than, than me? So you know what I mean. So it was like one of those things where as I started to be more knowledgeable and comfortable with who I was, was I then able to understand that I could navigate through a lot of those situations without anger and still see. Um, you know, something profitable for me, something good for me out of it, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, like, you know, when you're when you're a senior and your your high school football coach comes to you and, and shows you all of these letters he's been collecting from people in the community saying that if they play another nigger, they're going to lose their job. Wow. Or they're, good luck getting the booster support you next year if you keep playing this nigger over my kid. Wow. And all these other things. And then you're like, you like putting the dots together. You're like, yo, that that letter is signed by our superintendent. What you talking about? Hmm. Yo, that letter is signed by someone on the school board. What you talking about? Like, that was my life. And so being in the middle of all that, like, yeah, I could go, I could be angry. I could have quit school. I could have um, never did sports. I could have never found any outlet and just stayed angry the whole time. Right. And that wouldn't have, I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. But now I look at it where I invested all that time and I found other ways to, to be able to therapeutically release that, the, that tension, emotions, you know, right. those emotions. I ended up becoming a better person because of it. I ended up becoming a better musician. I ended up becoming a boss and owning my own business. I ended up becoming doing all these things, playing D1 football with seven fingers. Like, I mean, we can talk about that because ain't nobody else done that. I mean, there was like, I think when I graduated college, the football um, president of Big 12 came by, shook my head and said, you're like one of four athletes in the Big 12 who have ever played D1 football with less than 10 fingers. I have to. I, he said, I have to shake your hand. Right. Man, you know. So it's like all those things, it's like all those things growing up, like I had experienced them really young, but as I grew up, they evolved into other things that I turned to try to make good. You know what I mean? I try, I, if someone was going to racially profile me and do all these different things like the cops did where I grew up all the time, I mean, I, it got to a point where I was just like, you know, it's going to happen. You know, like every cop car knows what car, what car the black kid drives you know, where I'm from. So it was like those types of things. And and then to also like make not like a super big deal, but it's like when I look at people in Kansas City and they look at like the racial tension between people here in the city, I go, man, this is, this right. is nothing. 
this is this is this is very little compared to what I had experienced as a kid with no resources, with no support. Um, and so, you know, I I, I always look at the, the issue of race and, and different cultures or different cities differently because there's usually history to support it, right? I mean, the history of 71 Highway right. and, and the gentrification of Black people being pushed out, like, you know, that's where the attention of, of, of the racial card and um, what's his face? Um, we took his street down. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Obra, uh, JC. Uh, it's Nichols, right? Yeah. So, the, so that all has like, that all has been there. You know, like I'm, I'm like real talk. Last summer, I was down, I was down in the closet, and I'm sitting there talking to, um, you know, like Super Jesus, the guy that's in Jesus yep. suit. Yep. Like, his name's Michael Willie, and he don't have a car. Hmm. He don't own a car. He don't own a car or nothing, and he's asking for rides. So I give him a ride. Right. We driving through the plaza. He's probably 70, 60, yeah. years old. Yeah. He's telling me in his lifetime, in his lifetime, he was getting his butt beat. He like, man, looking outside of Peter Chang's, he's looking at me, looking at that store, and he's like, man, I'm going to beat up outside that store. He told me that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, probably because, you know, you're trying to push Jesus on the people that don't want to hear it. And he's like, no, I was 14 years old, and Black people could not be in the block. Mm. I got my butt beat right out that building. Mm. And I'm thinking, man, that is racial tension. That is the history of our of our city and the racial tension. People don't realize that people were alive when that was happening. And they're still here. And they still have like, you know, the, me- the memories and the traumatic experiences from those things. So, you know, have we progressed? Have we gotten better? I mean, obviously, you know, right. the street yeah, but there's still so much more to do. Yeah, to to to, to exactly to do, to do, and that and that makes that's where, me, that's where this works. That's where this work starts. Man, man, that's where the work starts. It's kind of like it always reminds me of that quote, like Muhammad Ali. I, I believe it was Muhammad Ali, but anyway, somebody saying, you know, the, he he don't start counting, you know, until until he's hurting super bad or something like that, or you know, until like the 12th round is when the fight starts or something, something along those lines. Where yeah. it's like, there's so much work that happens, so much history, but it's like, oh, nah, well, you thought it was over. Nah, this is where the work actually starts. This is like where the beginning, like all that matters, but now we're here and now the work starts again. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's more. Mm-hmm. So, so that's very right. that's powerful. Yeah, that's the way, that's the way I see it because, um, you know, for a long time, different, 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 different era. But, you know, 50 years ago, there was two black people having the same conversation, mm-hmm. right? That's now, right. The, thing, the thing that upsets me about that, Hollis, is that we're still having that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that upsets me when I've gotten pulled over, you know, 2020, I experienced, I, I met Dan, this is a small story. I met Dan from a cop issue that I had with Shawnee, the Shawnee Police Department, um, where I was surrounded by six cops, thrown through random drug, uh, random um, alcohol tests because of the time of day that it was. I think about one in the morning after uh, watching the, the national championship college football game, and driving home, I blew a tire, and they thought I was wrong. Hmm. So I'm on the side of the street. My hazard lights on. I'm literally laying underneath the car when they drive up. 
because I'm I've got my flashlight out looking at the tire damage. My car is off. My keys are out of the ignition. I'm not the driver of the car that they could even possibly know of. And the first question was not, do you need some help? It was, have you been drinking? Mm. And I'm a mile from my home. They made me walk home by myself in the middle of the night with no ride offered home. They said, you cannot drive your car. It's not drivable to be home. I'm like, okay, can you give me a ride? We'll see you, bye. They left. And I got introduced to Daniel Smith and talking to him. And he was like, Uncle Dan, you know, I'd never met Dan from anybody. And someone said, hey, you need to call this guy. He'll get, he'll listen. We talked for like four hours. And we just, you know, we chopped it up and we chat and we chatted and, and shared our like our difficulties and, and everything else that we would experience. And he was just giving me like a solid sound advice of like how do how do I respond? But I'm gonna tell you what, man, the thing that I was so upset about on my way home from that walk and that weird and honestly very scary moment for myself um I was so upset I was so mad man because I was I knew for a fact that that day that night and what I had experienced and what I was walking away from I just cheated something Hmm. I just cheated something not like I did it on purpose like I'm lying about something but this person and those people did not want me to go home tonight the way I'm going home and, and so much of that, they're not even offering me a ride home. And if I was a female, if I was old and wrinkly and white, and, you know, with the response and the interaction being the same, we went for 22 minutes, they didn't ask for my ID. So I'm going through all these checks, tests, doing all this stuff. And then they finish it up and they're like, by the way, uh, what's your name? We didn't get your ID. I was like, no, nah, y'all are good now. We done, we've been together for 20, 20 some minutes. We're good. You know what I mean? And, and, and all of that, right? So ex- ex- expressing my anger to say that I was angry because 50 years ago, there was another Black person who had cheated something from someone who was trying to take something away from them. And they probably saw it worse. They were probably the one that just got away. They were probably the one that, that was able to escape. And they, they were just thankful to still have their life. And they're walking home at two in the morning, wondering what the heck's going to happen the next day. Right. Why the hell are we 50 years from that and it's still happening? happening. Yeah, every day. So that was the anger that, that came out of those experiences and me getting to talk to people like Dan and, and you know, I talked, to, I talked to Kiana that day, uh, that night, Kiana Singh, she was super helpful. She actually connected me to Dan. Um, and so you, you build, you build this, um, this community of people that's, you know, are there for your side, even though, you know, I didn't know Dan from nobody. So it was just, you create this, these new, these nuanced experiences that you get to share with people. Um, and, and I'll be honest, man, like Shawnee PD, they all, <laughs> they are not all that. So you, you learn a lot of stuff like Shawnee PD, they are the only accredited police department jurisdiction in all of the metro and all that means to you and i call us is they're extra white that's all that means okay um that it just means they have certain protocols they gotta follow so when i went through the chain of command to get things like you know i i filed a complaint and did all the things and i had inside knowledge on people telling me internally in shawnee this is how they're gonna try to cheat this 
this is how this is supposed to go and this is how they're going to try to cheat it so you don't go that route and every single thing they said that they would do that's exactly what the that's problem what Oh man! And so you bar, bar for bar, you just learn it, man, and, and you you learn that like even if you try to trust the system, the system's not always there to trust. That's real. That's real. And from everything you just shared, you know, I think it's quite easy to say there was a fair share of adversity in your life, right? And man. you spoke a lot about you know this feeling of anger that you were trying to figure out, you know, where it was coming from or navigating those those emotions. Um, but being able to find, you know, outlets to, you know, release that that anger or to educate yourself on why you're feeling that way so you're so you can, you know, move a little bit differently. So I my question is for for the young men and women coming up right now that may not be going through the exact same situation as you, but maybe have these very strong feelings of anger due to their experiences that they're facing in their life. Um what would be like your piece of advice or, or your tip for, for an individual facing these deep, these strong emotions and not knowing where to take them, you know, because I think one thing we can, you know, probably both, um, you know, have some experiences is like, unfortunately, some kids don't go the route of trying to investigate their history or trying to learn about themselves and, and, you know, trying to understand what's going on around them, but instead just crash out. And, you know, when they crash out, they get hurt, their family gets hurt, and sometimes other people get hurt. So what, what's your, you know, maybe I, I'm not trying to act like you're a guru or anything, oh. but based, based off your experiences, what are your tips you'd have for another young man that's going through similar situations? So honestly, I would say this, if you're a child and you're experiencing a lot of these things, it's normal. It's so normal. I mean, I mean, if, if two 30 something, I'm assuming you're 30 something, I'm 30. So, you know, if two grown men are talking about the things that they experienced when they were kids, and this is 15 years ago for me, maybe even longer um, than that, actually, then um, you're not alone. So then it's, it's so normal for these things to, to, for you to experience them. And that honestly, that's probably the worst part that I would have to say about this, this, this subject or topic is that it's going to happen. Um, you, you can't, you can't fight it. But I would say the other thing too, and number two, and I was thankful for, for the, the moment that I had, the moments that I had was where I, I honestly was unapologetically me. And, and I think that is the most important thing is that when you respond, go ahead and respond the way you need to respond. Go ahead and respond the way you want to respond. Um, you will learn from them. Trust me. Like, that's 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 like honestly, I don't want I don't want you to second guess the response you should you should you feel like you need to have. So go ahead and have that response. I think the bigger thing for me, and I don't know about you, cause, but for me, the biggest thing for me was I after I made this had that response after I made the decisions that I that I made, I sat with myself and I reflected on why I did what I did. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a, when it happened again, um, it, it, there was, if it was different, I knew the response didn't need to be the same. You know what I'm saying? Um, but also when I was roadmapping the emotional, like, okay, so I'm happy here. This happens. I'm curious here. This happens. I'm upset here. Like what? Stop. Okay. I know I responded. I did everything I needed to do. I punched this kid in the face, whatever. Like, cool. But now I'm sitting by myself. Why did I do what I did? You know? And, and I think like that, 
that level of, of if you're just doing that, if you're just able to reflect on your response and then be able to put like, okay, this happened and it made me angry. Why did it make me angry? Did it make me angry because of the person and what they said? Or is it actually me? Is it something that, that I'm not, I'm not happy about? I didn't, I, maybe I'm, I'm mad. I didn't stick up for myself because you do have to do that. Trust me. Like I'm in an all, I'm in an all white school with no black kids to support me. A kid calls me a nigger. Everyone could easily say, say, well, yeah, that's what you are. I mean, you're a nigger, you know, but I still fought against that. Even though the numbers were, you know, definitely out, out, out wavered. So it's like, those, those are the things I would be like, I would say like, be yourself, unapologetic, unapologetically be you and respond the way you feel like you need to respond. But I would say, secondly, reflect on that response. Think about why you responded that way. What are the emotions that you had during that response? And is that something like, you know, I, I, I try to like think about how many seconds or minutes in a day was I happy to how many days of minutes and seconds that I lose to being angry because I'm blessed you know I'm, I'm thankful for the next day so you know I live in a different I, I, I move in a different way now obviously and see things differently but for me like I don't like putting my time and energy into anger and hate and lying and cheating and stealing and like I don't like to put my energy there you know it, it doesn't do me any good honestly um the things that I want to have in my life they don't support that so I'm not I'm not that's not with me so for me when I reflect and those things didn't occur and they didn't happen then I'm looking at like this like okay I had some really traumatic or something really bad happen to me the kind of person that I want to be in the future when I'm dead and gone and everything is, is gone away with I want to be this kind of person if I respond and entertain hate, anger, bitterness, resentment, all of that stuff, violence, that is not going to support the person that I want to be remembered as. So there is a line I have to, I have to know when to cross because you do have to carry your own cross sometimes and, and, and defend for yourself. But Absolutely. where, where's that line? Like, you know, I kept asking, uh, you know, I grew up in, my dad's a pastor, you know, so I grew up in a, in a, predominantly white raised you know church and i'm comfortable going to white churches i'm comfortable going to black churches whatever but when I, last year when george floyd was going on and i was going through a lot with a white church you know the, the question you have to ask is how do you still serve the lord when you go to a church like that and they're saying trump is everything and they give all the valid you know whatever their reason of validity is excuses to george floyd and what happened so how do I respond as a black Christian to my brothers and sisters who clearly don't have the same skin tone or makeup and background that I have? How do I respond to them? Because that's what you really want. That's when you, when something like that happens, it's a new opportunity for you to educate and for you to bestow new knowledge to people that didn't know what the, what, you know, what was. And so I feel like when you're able to do that, now it's not your response is in anger. Now your response is like an intelligent, strategic, well thought out. This has happened a million times. And it's based out of love. It's based out of love. I think, I think anything where, you know, individuals, well, I don't want to say always, but I think a lot of times when people are trying to share 
or enlighten an individual, it always has to come from a place of love because, you know, you can sit there, be mad and react out of, out of anger and curse them out and everything like that. But like you said, how does that serve anything? And how can you as an individual still serve God and still serve your purpose here on earth while still mm-hmm. loving his creation? And, you know, for you, that, that looks yeah, like, because it's, like it's not like, you know, I think about it's not like like I always say, you know, and I don't know if you loud cussing on your store. On your yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like Jonah when Jonah got in the well. Like, Jonah didn't go, oh, man. You know, Jonah was like, fuck, are you serious? This? You know, like, like I would imagine, like, Daniel in the lion's den, when he got thrown up, he's like, oh, shit. Right. I, mean, you know, <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, those individuals responded the way that you would want to respond if you were serving that, you know, the Lord, you know, yes. the God, you know, God. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you, how do you have a response that is appropriate, that still is honoring to what you're trying to serve and become, you know what I mean? And I think that, that part there, like, there are people that threw that out the window and they're like, oh, I'm just going to be whatever, you know, I'm just going to, and it's like, that's fine. Like, just sit with it after you're done. Sit right. with it after because because when you make that decision, there's consequences. There is, like, just, I tell people freedom of speech is freedom of speech, but you still got consequences with your freedom of speech. You know, you, you can still piss people off and, and lose supporters and lose people for, for the freedom of speech you have. So it's a double-edged sword. So you have to you have to be able to know, like, you know, if you if you do it constantly or you're doing it often and, and you're responding to certain things, go ahead and reflect. Reflect back. And then I, 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 the thing that I didn't also touch base on was create an outlet that's healthy, mm-hmm. that you can sustainably continue to go to to get solace you know to find peace to get to get whole again you know what i mean to make yourself feel like you're human again um i don't care if that's eating food or making delicious food or having a great cup of coffee or a conversation with a friend or going and exercising or meditating or yoga i mean there's so many things that your body physically or mentally or emotionally can create and do that if you're creating that outlet every time, I, I may be really good at those things, like I mentioned, music, and all, but that's because you said I experienced a lot. <laughs> I just right. spent a lot of time using those outlets. Yeah. Um, but that to me, like, is a huge factor. It's a huge factor in you continuing to move forward with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If that isn't something that you're, you're in love with, you have passion for, you can do it for days upon days, it's not work to you that's your outlet. That's most likely going to be your outlet. It's what gives you life. You know, it's what makes you excited to, to go and do. You look forward to getting there, right? So if you get to those points where you're reflecting, you're responding unapologetically, and you're able to find an avenue or something that you can go off and do that you can find therapy and let yourself just get away in and, and forget about what happened, forget about everything and get back to, you know, your homeostasis, your, your, your zen, um, you know, th- those are the things I would definitely encourage people to do as they're as they're trying to figure out, you know, the type of people they want to become, the responses they want to appropriately have. Um, those are those are those because when you get to that point, bro, and you probably can uh, uh, speak into this a little bit, it's like when you spend that time getting to know who you are. That's really fun when someone challenges that. Yep. You know what I mean? 
because there's like they've been they have probably been challenging people for a long time they've been pushing people's buttons for a minute and they are just looking for that response right they're looking for that response that an un someone who didn't know themselves very well would would respond and you're like i'm not i'm not going to respond that way i'm going to have an intelligent conversation i'm i'm probably going to prove this person wrong in the in the time you know in the process and so I like to. I like with the attitude of love. (laughs) All with attitude of love, baby. Yeah, they gotta learn some way. And that 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 tends to be the only way. I love it. I love it, man. So I want to transition into, you know, talking a little bit about, you know, you leave high school, you go to two two schools, uh, MNU and K State. You play football. I believe if I did, if if my research was correct, you played running back. And so you played both at both levels, you know, two different levels. When you got into college and when you started, you know, being around different teammates, what, what did you finally feel like you were able to begin building community or, you know, cause as we'll get to the business that you built, you know, um, right now, I don't know if you're sitting in the business uh, location right now, but which we'll get to, but that industry is really especially a brick and mortar is really based off of building community, really being able to feel like this is home and I want to come here every day to buy my drink and to to spend time here and to create relationships and come to events here and to programming here that gives back to the community. So when for you, did you feel like you were really able to build community or feel accepted in the community? Did that start in college or later? Uh, It didn't start really until I got to K-State. Uh, honestly, when I was at Mid-America Nazarene, that was a whole other experience for me that was really honestly not great. It was good, but not great. I enjoyed the faculty and staff at Mid-America Nazarene. I enjoyed my educators, my teachers, you know, those types of people. But when it came to, like, the interactions and the minglings of people on campus and the football department, I was, like, really far put off. Um, like, my first day I got to football camp, it really started there where the head coach came or my, my running backs coach came to me and was like, Hey man, like, when were you going to tell us? And keep in mind, call us like I'm an all state running back at this point in high school, my senior year, I've been recruited by them, by I was recruited by Mizzou, KU, Texas tech, K state, TCU, West Virginia, Southern Illinois, Boise state. You know, a pretty long list of, of colleges that, had expected me to come visit and, and, and see them out. And my first offer was from KU and then Mangino got fired. I lost that offer after he had lost his job. And so I ended up going to Mid-America, highly sought after because, you know, of KU recruiting me and me just saying, hey, I'm not going to go play pro. I'm just going to go get a job and I'm going to enjoy my career as a student and just just go, you know, right off in the sunset sunset in a D, you know, NAI level football. Um, but, you know, when I got there, everything was like, you know, they had high expectations for me when we visited. They really were excited about, you know, the, the level of player they were getting and talking about national championships and all this and that. Well, the first day I got there from camp, my running backs coach comes to me and he goes, hey, when were you going to let us know? And I was like, let you know what? And he goes, well, you know, you didn't tell us about your hand. And I was just like, excuse me? And they were like, um, yeah, you know, we really wish we would have known that you only had seven fingers. And I was just kind of like, 
I didn't know that that mattered. I mean, y'all saw my tapes, y'all saw the statistics, and I came up here a few times to visit. So, I mean, I I, I didn't know I needed to tell you, if I'm being honest. And they were just, you know, he was just like, yeah, the head football coach really is upset because, you know, we offered you a great scholarship, and he's not sure if he's going to even keep you on the team. And this is day one. Like, I'm no family up here, no nothing. Just – Figuring it out, I just moved in the day before. <laughs> and he's telling me this, and I'm just like, oh wow, okay. What what do I have? What control in this situation do I have? None. So the next day he came through and he was like, Yeah, man, we're gonna redshirt you. And so they redshirted me that year. And I'll be honest, man, it took every bit of me to not quit, to not give up, even on life, um, to not give up on school. And so for me, like, I had to dig really deep. My teammates did not like me. I mean, bro, like, to give an example, I was running one day in practice to my right, going down the right hash in a defense grill, and I stiff-armed this kid with my left hand, and he hit the ground and missed the tackle. Well, the next day, we're watching film practice. We're watching film during film study right before practice, and they keep playing this play back and forth over and over again and I'm thinking they just showing my highlights this is dope like cool 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 and that was not the case it was actually the case of well everybody look at how TJ with two fingers made Dorian look like a fool and Dorian how dare you not tackle somebody and Dorian's response in this whole team meeting as this is happening because this is happening in front of the entire team and Dorian goes, well, I just, I just missed the tackle because I didn't want him to touch me with his hands. And for the longest time, I mean, real talk, you know, I had people that did not want me to shake their hand with my left hand. They didn't want me to touch them with my left hand. My left hand is the hand with two fingers. So just it was all of that. I, I, I picked up the, the crap boy, the crabby boy, crap boy nicknames again, um, and all of that. So – my experience in America was trash as a football athlete. And, and it was a situation where I didn't want to be around and have community. I didn't want to have friends. I didn't want to, it was people that were honestly part of the faculty and the staff and the teachers. And, and even my strength coach were like, no, we, they saw me hurting and they were bringing me closer. So they like helped me get through a lot of that stuff. Like real talk, bro. It was difficult. Um, and, and I ended up becoming scout team player of the year, my freshman year. So I, I ended up, they ended up redshirting me, like I said, my whole first year. So I didn't get to suit up for games. And that alone for me was enough for me to like not want to play. And I had people in my corner just like, you're too good to not play. You're too good to not do this. You're too good. And so I just kept digging deeper and deeper. And then finally, when I decided after I stayed another year, um, the D coordinator got promoted to the D coordinator and the special teams coordinator, and I got to be on special teams. And that's when I really started to play out. And not only did I play out in scrimmages when I would like had like big rushes or big games, like I would run, you know, I would bust a run or something like that or do something real crazy. Um, and I never got a chance to play in the game. And so my second year, I'm like, hey, when am I going to play? And the, the coach just told me after the season, like after our, in our exit interview, I had Kimball Andrews in the room because he was my football, my running backs coach my second year. 
he's a Hall of Fame chief running back. And then I had the head coach and I had a D coordinator. And we're all sitting in that room and Kimball's telling me, like, honestly, man, you're one of our best running backs. I wish I could play you more. But every time I put you in, he takes you out. And so that had been happening all season long, but the D coordinator was letting me play special teams and return punts and kicks, and I was, you know, doing some things there. So we're in this meeting, and coach just straight up told me, like, you know, I want you to move to fullback. I want you to uh, gain some weight um, and play fullback. And I'm like, man, we play shotgun 95% of the game. So where is there ever a place for a fullback? And he was just like, well, if you play fullback, we'll, we'll find ways to give you, you know, give you an opportunity. And I was just like, well, I just, I just really want an opportunity to coach to run the ball more, be a bigger asset for the team. And he's like, he like puts his pen down and he just says straight up, like nonchalant. He just said, TJ, until I see that you have 10 fingers, you will never run the football for this team. And I was just like, I mean, right. Like, took the Brett bro, hard hit the floor, you know. And, uh, you know, I remember leaving that room just deflated, just absolutely just like, oh, I'm never going to win. I'm never going to get an opportunity. This is not ever going to be worth my while. All this hard work, all this time, all these people that have been telling me to ride through this, what the, is this for, you know, like, this ain't worth it. And Kimball Anders, we're walking back to the car, and Kimball's like, man, if I see you here next semester, I'm nothing. Sorry for you, bro. You need to get out of here. This coach is crazy. And he was gone, too. So so, so that's when I got to walk on at K-State. And, bro, when I, got, when I got that opportunity during that break, my grandmother had passed away, and I had saw my family come together. My grandfather actually instilled in me this dream to play football at K-State. And so we're at the funeral, and I'm just like, damn. I'm gonna go play football at this right. I, I mean, I don't care. I don't care if I lose my shirt. If I if I if I never get to do it, I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna try my hardest and just do it. So, I transferred to K State two weeks after school started. So this is like third week. I'm coming in. They like barely let me enroll, and I just took a chance. And I remember telling the coach because I had to have him release me to go to K State. So when I go up to Mid America, and I'm like, Hey, I need you to release me. He's like, Where are you going? And I go, I'm going to K State. He says, Man. And I was just like looking at him like, you didn't give a damn about me before. What are you manning me for now? Like internally, I'm thinking, what you talking, what are you about to say? Like, you should just sign this and let me go. You know, that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, man, I hope you graduate. And I just looked at him like, excuse me? And he just goes, I see this. He just says, I see this all the time. People leave our program and they try to say that they're going to go D1 and they don't make it and they don't graduate. So I just... I just hope you graduate, son. And he just signed the paperwork, and he's like, I don't think you'll ever play there. I don't think you'll ever – you might be able to be a water boy there. And that was that. Was that. And I and he basically laughed me out the door. And, boy, the fire that I had to prove him wrong, man. And so I got – you know, when I got to K-State, I bugged the hell out of the football program, went in every day, knocked on the door, dropped the tape off every single day before class, dropped the tape talk, drop the tape, talk, and every time, just, like, not catching nobody. Finally, I caught somebody, and they gave me a shot. They're like, you know, we keep seeing you. Honestly, we can't ask you to leave. We keep doing this, so we'll just give you a shot. So, finally, I get my shot. We scheduled that up, and I sent them some tape. They saw the tape. They reached out. They're like, hey, you're really good, actually. Um, where are you from again? Why, why are you coming to us? 
And I was like, oh, I'm from Mid America. And they were like, well, what's wrong? What happened in Mid America? And I was like, they don't they didn't want me to play football because of my hands. And their response was, well, did the doctors, did the doctor clear you? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. You know, I ain't got nothing wrong with just, just, just hands, just fingers, you know, whatever. And they were like, then what's the wrong, what's wrong with making letting you run the football? And I was just like, I don't know. You know, I have no idea. <laughs> You know, and so they finally, they finally, you know, they gave me that opportunity. And I mean, I remember like, I get there, we start playing catch, me and this, me and this coach, we playing catch and he was a friend of mine. And so we're playing catch and, and I, my, my back's to the, to the complex. And so we're playing catch, you know, just catching the ball, just shooting the top and talking. And he's just like, um, he's just like, hey, don't look, but behind you, you know, it's like behind you, there's a there's a wall there's like a whole row of black windows and that's our conference room for the coaches and he's like they're watching us play catch right now and I'm just thinking like why are you telling me like I'm thinking like dude this is the most nerve-wracking thing ever I'm in the stadium that, that seats 55,000 people like this is insane all together but why are you now telling me like we're about to start why are you telling me this and I'm I, did, I never asked him that until after that, so we go, we, you know, we put the football away, do our drills, do our thing, right, get done, I'm taking my cleats off, I'm like, coach, bro, like, why did you tell me this, why did you do that, that was so nerve-wracking, how did I do, like, was it, he's like, you did great, he's like, I told you that, because I wanted to show you, and, or I wanted to let you know that I'm trying to show everybody that you can throw and catch a football, and I was like, bet, coach, all right, coach, <laughs> And it was and it was and it was history after that, man. It was it was a letter in the mail saying you're on. It was wrapping it up, and, and when I got on K State, bro, like that's when I saw community. That's when I saw what it was like. I had teammates from all over the country, from different walks of life, from single parents to dads just being parents, to moms just being parents, to siblings being parents. Um, I, I saw it all. And I even asked most of my teammates, like, hey, you're from New Orleans, man. We got spring break. What's going on in New Orleans? You know, I'm going back to their 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 home and seeing how they live. And I'm starting to see the, the makeup of when we come together from different backgrounds and we do our jobs on a play that we score touchdowns. So I'm thinking, how can I get people in real life to do these things the right way and work together to score touchdowns? You know what I'm saying? So that's where community came about with sports. And then as I got into my professional career in insurance, and I'm sure we was going to talk about that in coffee, but when I started getting to that, that never changed. Like I missed my teammates. I missed that, that ability to connect with the community. Like when I was at K-State, we'd go into the, the schools and read to the kids and we talk to hospitals and go to nursing homes and bring pets with us and pet, you know, do things with the community and stuff. And it's like a year after college, the only thing I miss is working out with my teammates and doing community work with my teammates. Mm. So that, that, that was like, all right, well, can I do that with this business? Can I do that with what I'm trying to create here? Cause everybody around me is just like nine to five smile, dial, sell insurance. That's what I was doing, but I wasn't getting any satisfaction out of that. There was, it was just me in a room answering and calling numbers like that ain't cool. So I started inviting people into my community i started doing different things in my business started giving money back you know i, I would give gift cards i would buy um bro i go to gas i still do but i 
I go to Quick Trip and my, I buy like two or $300 and get $10 gas cards. And so when, when I say someone money on their insurance and they tell me their, about their pastor and their mom and their sister that needed insurance, I'm giving them gift cards. Like, hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, this is how you bless me. I'm going to bless you back. And so there was all those things and working in different places. Like I used to live and work on troops. That was the first place I lived to when I came to Kansas City. I, I was like, I want to live where all the black people live. I want to be around all my people. So find me the you know the somewhat nicest place on <laughs> And you know that that but seeing it, that space and being in that environment and saving somebody five dollars a month and having them like kiss me, hug me, cook for me, and all that thing, like do all that thing, moving my business to Johnson County saving somebody a thousand dollars a year and not even getting a thank you hey you start picking up on stuff and you start realizing communities are different they operate different they see things differently they value things differently and so that's when i started just really looking and reflecting at how other people respond to things and how their decision processes are and those types of things when adversity hits and so you start to learn more about the makeup of people and how they think and that's when it became like relevant to me to open up a coffee shop this year and do this in a way that built community up because we have never been in a place where we owned a coffee shop together culturally and having the opportunity for wholesale resale merchandise to be sold by other black vendors and having food vendors come in that we're in coffee spaces now and having vegan food vendors that are in coffee spaces now. So there's all these things that we, now that I feel like we have never been here before, I gotta bring anybody, everybody, whoever, that's willing to take this jump. Cause it's not, it's not an easy, you know, business ownership and entrepreneurship, it's not easy. You know, we've had the lights shut off here before and everything like that. But the biggest point for us has been, we wanna build our community up. We can't do it alone. We need all of the people to come in and build this excellence up and so i work with you know nonprofits a lot um with like black excellence kansas city and porterhouse kc you know and, and different things like that um you start to move differently because you build you build those 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 resources that i mentioned those those nonprofits they have people inside that need that need this opportunity need this space need this work and so it's like cool now i can operate I can reach out to somebody that was through their class and I can say, I know you went through and you discussed how to budget your business and you discussed how to insure your business and get your permits in order and have, you know, good capital that's working for you. So now that I know you've been through that, come over here and sell your stuff because people want it. People are asking for these vegan cookies. People are asking for your, um, your tea, Rosie from Nature by Me. People are asking for all these things. Well, Nature by Me, these people never been in that space. When we go to a black, when we go to, uh, you know, a wide-owned coffee shop and you look at their retail merchandise, no black people are represented. None. And so you look at a coffee shop that does four or $500,000 a year in sales. I used to work at a coffee shop that saw, on average, 215 transactions a day, swipes a day. So you're telling me that not any black representation is getting any views around 215 people coming in every single day to buy coffee. 
what does that mean to us if we had that opportunity here? Right. It means a lot, right? And so now that we're able to have this space and build something up towards that, we're able to create something that's hopefully something they can scale, not just to be here, but to be everywhere. You know, I don't want to see Capri's cookies just here. I want to see them everywhere. I don't want to see uh, Rosie's tea just here. I want to see it everywhere. So if Rosie can understand this here and how this functions here, she can reach out and I can give her all the uh, encouragement and empower her to know how to operate her business in something like this. You know what I'm saying? So those are the opportunities that I am super excited to bring the community in on that when we're marketing our business, it's capturing Capri's story and Rosie's story and how they got here. So that way, when people come and support Kinship Cafe, it ain't just about the coffee, it ain't just about the food we bring or anything about us in, in general. It's the culture. You're supporting the culture that Kinship is behind. You're supporting the values that Kinship is behind. And so that, 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 that aspect in general is a community, but it's a, it's a community based on values and excellence. You know what I'm saying? And so that's the way we kind of operate here at Kinship. So when we, we're having those relationships, we're, we're, when we're creating those relationships with people, it's for sustainability. It's for, I don't, I don't want Capri to be here just for a year. I want to, Capri to be here for, I want to see that woman grow old with her kids and her business all being successful. So how do I make sure that I can do that? I have to do that in the way that we can do that. You know what I'm saying? Not the way that you know, no offense, messenger, roastery, all those people do it. I got to do it the way we can do it because they're, they're not the same. They operate differently. So that's kind of how we do that here. And, and part of that also in, in coffee was helping people understand that you can be a boss. You know, representation is a big factor in everyone's life. You know, when I'm working with Black Excellence Kansas City and we go into high schools and talking to high schools, the first few questions I ask them as an entrepreneur is, Raise your hand if you know anyone that looks like you, that does lawyer, like law work, that is a doctor, a nurse, a financial planner, and an insurance agent. And I have yet, I've been to three schools, I've yet to be to a school where a kid raised his hand on any of those. So when you talk about representation matter, I can talk that talk with people in that space with them. But my nine to five insurance job would never let me do what I'm doing right now, right? So I, I wasn't able to recruit people to come into insurance with me while I was working for an entirely white-owned company. I was the only African-American they had employed in the state of Kansas. So, so I had to have thick skin, which I already had from my upbringing. And I had to understand that there's going to be another day. I have to know myself, right? Because they look at me and go, TJ, your hair's too long to be an insurance agent. You have facial hair and you don't wear the right clothes and you're not in a three-piece suit or drive a BMW or whatever. And it's like, no, nah, like, that's how y'all see it. You see, the way that I see it, the way that I know my people see it, it's way different. You know, people are going to trust me in these clothes and the way I'm dressed now is like this because I'm meeting them as my unapologetic self. Authenticity. Authenticity, man. Authenticity. So so when I'm authentic in myself, that goes somewhere. It goes somewhere here. And I, I, I actually want to talk to you real briefly about this too. I had an interview today with the Kansas City Business Journal. And I threw some shade. I threw some, I mean, bro, I threw shade everywhere because I don't give a damn. 
Because I'm at this point right here, bro, where honestly, the first question this lady asked me was, and it wasn't at, it wasn't at her or at them by any means. It's just in general, like media. And it's just this understanding. She's like, so like, what made you start getting on all the work that you're doing? It's so cool. It's so great to see this and that and the other. Like, you're doing so much for me. I'm like, girl, I've been doing it's just like I started doing coffee and it was cool and now everybody now I'm on now I'm on the front page of the star or whatever I'm, or I'm getting talked about. Like I've been doing this and I was doing it in a much harder space to do it because my insurance people were looking at me crazy doing the things that I was doing. So like it took me to do coffee, which is entertaining to white people, to finally be acknowledged that I'm doing something in my community. Which is so crazy, and just sorry to interject. Which is so crazy because if we look at where coffee comes from, mind blown, mind blown, mind blown, yeah, mind blown. And that's where that's where. And, and she said, "Well, TJ, honestly," and and she felt she felt the tension already, like, you know. And she just goes, "It's just not sexy," and I was like. I almost threw my phone out the window, bro. I know that. I ain't stupid. I know that. But what and you know that. So if you know that and I know that, then why are we still having this conversation when you know right now you're gonna ask me some questions about some tough racial stuff? And I'm gonna tell you how I adverse to it all, but I'm gonna tell you I did all of the same stuff while I was with a white-owned company doing my own thing. And how that was rubbing gears and against the brain. Right, but I don't get no credit for that. So what I say to this is that I got into coffee really to bring more people into insurance. It was not the other way around. I I, I swear, bro, when I tell you 80, probably probably I'm I'm being generous, but not by much. There's probably eighty five hundred people in this city, Kansas and Missouri, that sell insurance. I would guess 2,500 of those, uh, 2,500 businesses are owned and selling insurance in Metro. I would guess out of the 2,500, I would guess three are black owned. Three out of 2,500. Out of the 8,500 people that work in this city for insurance and sales or whatever capacity, I would guess less than 100 are black. And so when I'm sitting here talking to this, and then I say the industry standard in insurance today is 2% of representation for insurance agents who are Black. Yeah, it's a problem. And it's a problem. And I'm telling her these statistics. She's nodding her head. Yeah, I know, I know. And I'm like, then why in the heck do I have to lose? I'm, I mean, I lost that job working with uh, Farm Bureau. I used to work with Farm Bureau. I worked with him for five years. It's the only black agent that they ever employed in that timeline. And we had tons of racial problems going on behind the scenes. And unfortunately, I did not document them. And they laid me off two days after I started Kitchen Cafe. And they gave me no response. They gave me no reasoning. But let me tell you, bro, the amount of racial uh, clout that they actually had and the awareness around any racial tensions that they would have had, they had no means of figuring out how to solve them, internally or externally. It was just not talked about. 
And I'm saying we have people we support and sell insurance to that are experiencing these things that we have no knowledge or even empathy for to know how to solve and support. So when things were, yeah, when things were going on, bro, it was, it was, man, shots fired. I, I threw the shots and they were like, Hey, cut it out. And I was like, well, then pick up, pick, pick up, like pick up where I'm at. Right. And they, and they were just, they, they honestly, bro, real talk. They just said, we don't like the tone that the message and the narrative is. And I was like, the tone is this way because this has been happening so long. Right. For so long, The tone is because this is is truly what people are going through. This has truly been the experience and it's not stopped. It's continued going. It's continued going. And and going back to the, you know, the very beginning of this conversation where it's like, look, the, the issue you have is that the same conversations we're having today, we're having 70 years ago. And that's ridiculous, you know? And so it's like, you know, at some point, these 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 large media companies, these large companies got to pick up. They got to pick up and they got to, you know, they either got to accept the, 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 the you know, that action. <laughs> they got to accept that action and, and the authenticity or they got to pick up their feet and walk with us. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's pretty and, much. And, and, and it's a hard and it's like, I get it. Like, I understand it's difficult. You know what I mean? It's difficult to accept that you, you messed up. You know what I'm saying? Like it's difficult to accept it because you don't know. Okay, I, I'm telling I'm gonna tell him I'm messed up, but how far is he gonna run with it? You know what I'm saying? And so like I get that, but the 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 level of of what we're talking about here, talking to people 30 years older than us, Carlos, in this in these calls, and I'm talking to big leagues in my company on, and it is way over the head. And, and for, for me, for me to understand that it was, it was, it was no longer a race issue, Carlos, it had everything to do with character, had everything to do with character. And, and when I understood that, and I, I, I was thankful for the experiences that I had because it had built the character that I have that is obviously leaps and bounds ahead of the people that I was having that discussion with. And needed because you know your experience your 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 actions your willingness to be a hundred percent authentically you is going to be the reason that change happens in whatever capacity so i gotta give you i gotta give you your flowers from just from this conversation man like you know what i'm saying like real talk though you know like when people meet each other you know sometimes the conversations is you know flaccid and boring and whatever but like i can tell that what you have done and what you're trying to do is going to make massive changes in whatever capacity and, and, and more than just one community just because of the ripple effect and what I call the domino effect. When you take action and when you take action like 100%, you go all in, you go directly at the issue, then other people pick up on that energy and they take that into their spaces, into their communities. And that's what I call the domino effect because it begins to knock down all these negative pieces until it finally gets to the freaking kingpin and takes it down, however long that takes, you know? so. So the thing, so the, I love that philosophy, bro, because it's very similar to mine. I, I talk about it in musical terms. There's a, you ever been, you ever seen a speaker, uh, like uh, someone that's giving a keynote speak, speech and their, their, their mic like, like trips out, you know, like peaks out, like squeals or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So there's actually a reason why that happens. And I'm not going to go into the, like the science behind that, but really it's called, it's actually because it's a loop, it's a feedback loop of energy that is being received and the receiver cannot control 
the amount of energy that's coming into it. And so where it's going, it's just going. It's just, it's just going to go, you know? And so I, I like to think of that aspect and how we, I'm going to touch on it, that response out of love, that energy that you're talking about, that's really the energy of love right there. Because when you, if you're doing it out of that, that's where it's coming from. People pick up on that. And so what I'm saying is like, when you are creating a, 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 a change that's, that's in love and it's about with positivity, you know what I'm saying? Like with positivity, like you, you want some, you want so many people to win. It's unfathomable. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when you have that, that positive feedback loop and people receive it and then they go and they spread it and they go and do other things with it. The positive feedback loop, just like when you're hearing the mic and it goes off and it's like, it's very similar, but completely different when you talk about positive feedback loops in the community. When I talk about positive feedback loops in the community, it's like me doing something in the community and the community responding on that positivity that I'm doing in love and they're reciprocating it. And when they reciprocate it, somebody gets to tell me or you about it and you go, man, I had no idea that I had any part in that. But that is a, that is a response to my positive feedback loop. You know, we did, we did, uh, I, I started this, this community called Mission Business District. There, uh, help, help to help with small business owners in the mission area where my insurance office was. And so we created this and like in, in not even six months time, bro, we had 200, we had 2000 followers. We started doing sidewalk sales, inviting other vendors to come into the community. I really wanted black vendors to come into that mission area to like, make it a little bit more vibrant um, and things like that. But let me tell you, we did a restaurant week, Mission's ever first restaurant week. We did a restaurant week. We told all, we, we signed up businesses that wanted to be a part of it. We let the community know who was involved. We told all the Metro and got it sponsored on Facebook and all that stuff, spent some money or whatever. Bro, the coolest story out of that week is my buddy, uh, my buddy Lalo, from Lalo's Corner over on like 51st and Lamar, okay? He had a line out of his door, line out of his door. And his landlord is a white old man and has like maybe up to this point in the story had said like a few things just in signing paperwork to let Lalo have his business. He's a Mexican restaurant owner. Has this line out his door, right? This owner drives by his place, sees all those people out the door, runs to Lowe's, and orders two picnic tables, family style, and has them delivered in front of Lalo's door. Delivery gets there. Lalo's looking at everybody, and he's looking at that, and he's like, what the hell? I don't know what the heck that is. And, stuff. and the owner comes in, the landlord comes in, and he's just like, hey, I got those for you. And he's, Lalo's like, you know, he's the most humble. He doesn't like to receive anything. He's just super cool dude. And he's just like, man, I can't afford that. I'm not paying for that and part of this. And he's like, no, 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 no. I told you your food was good and that you were going to need more seating. So it's on me. And Lalo still has those tables outside. And that is positive feedback right there, bro. That is that no expectation that that was going to happen. Yes. But me creating something in positivity and in love for other people to gravitate and feed off of and then reciprocate that happened. And And now Lalo and his landlord are tired. Now they have a good relationship and they, because of that whole gesture, you know and what I'm saying? And and so, 
the beginning of the, the establishment of another community within that relationship, you know? Exactly, bro. And so I totally agree with what you're saying, man. Like, what you put out in the world, it comes back to you and it comes back to you tenfold, but you're never going to know who it's going through before it gets to you. Yes. And when it gets back to you, it's going to be so much bigger, you know, and, 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 and better. But I don't, it's weird. Like, I have this weird thing about giving with expectation. I hate that, bro. Oh, I hate that. I just really, I just, it's like one of those things, like, why give? Why, why even give? If, you, if, if you're trying to be generous, why give if you're expecting something? So, so all those things that I try to, try to harness and keep myself humble down to, but ultimately, like, community, business, you know, I have a lot of people that I have mentored me and that I've learned from um to to know like you know how i want to move and and how i want to move is is i want to be generous with my time and my finances and you know i want to i want to be someone that that's an impact in our community uh, not just for for my people but for all people but it's got to start with us you know what i'm saying i love it i love it man this conversation has been super powerful you know, I think the people are really going to enjoy this and really enjoy tapping into your story and all the all the, the the really the brain juices, you know what I'm saying? The thought process that that flows through your brain and the amazing things that you're doing for the community. And I personally look forward to, you know, being able to engage with you in person and, and interact and help out in any way. Um, but, man, before we hop out of here, we definitely gonna have to do a part two. First off. You know, what I said first off, we got to stay that. We definitely got to do a part two, but we can do it at the shop, bro, in person. We can hell do it at yeah, the next one at the shop. You heard that, listeners? Guaranteed. Next one at the shop. Um, I want you to share with the people where they can find you, how they can support what you have going on, and um, leave them with a. Uh, and then I'll ask you my final question. So go ahead, and let the people know social media where they can find you guys at. So we're on we're on Instagram and Facebook right now. We have a website too. Um, the website is called kinshipcafe.us. Um, the Instagram and Facebook handles are the same. It's the at sign and it's kinship k i n s h i p kin like people, not king. I know everyone's kings and queens, and we love that. Like hey king, you know that's fine, but it's kinship because it's about people. So kinship cafe. KC is our Instagram and Facebook page. Um, so you can find us there. We make regular announcements on there of a lot of the new developments. We're a new business, so all literally daily something is changing here. Um, so I'm doing my best to let everybody know. Um, and then you can find me personally at 22 Teach on my Instagram if you're interested in finding me there. Um, and then I would say uh, we are at 719 North 6th Street and KCK. If you're not familiar with that, that's the Strawberry Hill District. If you're not familiar with that, that is five minutes from the West Bottoms. If you're not familiar with that, that's six minutes from downtown. So literally, we are right like the highway going into KCK. I'm right off that. So um, if you're not familiar with that, get familiar with Apple GPS or Google Maps. (laughs) Apple GPS, literally. Um, And then the other thing I was going to say on the support side, you know, obviously we'd love to see your support and come in and support our business. We are known for our house-made iced chives. We have amazing cold brew that's offered with Black Drift. We are right now, to this day, the only exclusive place that sells Black Drift for consumption. So you can come and get a hot Black Drift. You can come and get a cold Black Drift. 
Um, so we'll serve it all day for you. And then also um, we have a GoFundMe page if you would like to support us there. Um, any amount helps, $5, $10, whatever helps. Um, we are in the process, like I said, of doing a lot of community involvement work that we've already continued and started to do. Um, we invest our own profits. My own money goes to that. Um, the reason being is because that need is so great. And until that need ever changes, it'll always be that way. Um, but for us to be able to do it this way, we need help and support from our, our people in the community. So that way we can continue to operate the same way. Right now we invest all of our money from our business profits into these programs. Um, and so if the community comes through and helps us out with rent expenses and utilities and different things like that, it allows and ensures us to continue to do that work in our community. Um, and these are not, these are not um, closed, hand, uh, closed mouths, get fed type things. Um, you know, if I have somebody like Isaac Collins that wants to come and speak, I want to pay Isaac to be there. So I'm not asking for freebies or handouts from organizations. I want people to invest in themselves. Um, you learn more when you give and sacrifice and invest into yourself. So that's the type of operation we, we move like. And then we work with a lot of nonprofits creating, you know, different programs. We've done meditation, yoga, some soft skill training. We've done conflict resolution. We did a class where we had parents come in that felt like the kids were troubled with school and thought that they may be better off being entrepreneurs. And so we had two kids come in that ran businesses with their parents and talked about the relationship and the, you know, the troubles and the, you know, all the things they have to move to make that happen for them. Um, but, you know, understanding that, you know, we want to provide something that's equitable for every single person coming through our door from a person that needs to know how to set up an LLC to a person that needs to know how to set up their resume. We really want to help everyone from uh, everywhere in between. So, um, after our hours, which are right now seven to one, we're going to be moving to seven to four here probably in January, um, where after we close, we have these programs that people can dive into and support. And so when we work with nonprofits, those are the people that we give the stuff a free way to. So obviously some kid that's going through the juvenile detention center, that's a kid that needs to be here and understand conflict resolution. We're not going to charge for that. So, you know, being able to do things like that uh, for those people to sponsor them and support them and have the community sponsor and support them in the same way, that's powerful. Um, and it gives people, honestly, that second chance of hope. Um, so that's that's how you can connect and follow and support us. And I, I appreciate it, man. I love it. I love it. I love it. Again, man, you're doing so much powerful stuff. So we definitely gonna have to do a part two just to, yeah. Anyways, I'm loving this. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get too hyped. You know what I'm saying? But the last question of today is, it's your last day on earth. You're 150 years old or however long you would like to live. Um, and your great, great grandkids are sitting at your feet and you've done so many amazing things. You've done everything you wanted to do, but everything you've done you got to take with you to whatever's the next life that or whatever happens after we leave this earth right so this is the last thing your great great grandkids are left with um for memory of you and they ask you great grandpa how what's what's one piece of advice on how to live life what are you going to share with them um, i would say um I mean, it's, it's so cliche. It's so cliche. 
but it's but it's 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 just make your own legacy, you know. Create and and I, I it's 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 interesting, but I I I tell people to dream in in, in decades and then and then hundreds, if not thousands, of years. And people look at me like I'm crazy, and I'm like, no, like, you know, like, if 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 I went to North California, and I grabbed a sycamore tree uh, uh, seedling, and I came to Kansas and I planted that seed, that seed would be cool, you know, the ground would support it if I manipulated things, and this this sycamore tree grew out of the middle of Kansas, and people are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's not going to happen in my lifetime. Sycamore trees grow one foot a year. So call us by the time we're 150 years old, maybe if we're still alive, we see this amazing 150 foot tall tree, right? But in my lifetime and in your lifetime, nobody's really talking. You know what I'm saying? But in a thousand years, if that tree is still here, that's something amazing to talk about. So go your 1,000 year dream, your 1,000 year plan. That's that's the thing that I would, that's the legacy that when I talk about leave a legacy, that's what I mean. I love it. I love it, man. Thank you for tuning in with us today and really sharing your story and, and having this amazing conversation. Listeners, make sure you leave a five-star review and share this as this is the only way we can grow and make sure you run back the last five minutes right there so you can see how you can support Kinship Cafe and our guy TJ. With love, this is C-I-Z-Z-Y and T-J Roberts. We out. Peace.